someone last service, just as I was getting up here, I heard them saying in the front row, isn't she perky? <laughs> Very perky. How y'all doing this morning? We're uh, mixing things up a little bit. Uh, obviously, we're going to be taking communion a little bit later on. And so we moved the sermon uh, more towards the front of the service. It's a real different thing. We've got probably a third of the people not here yet, so they'll be coming in halfway through my sermon. We'll never clue what I'm talking about. But anyways, um, I, I want to thank Laurel, Bun- Laurel Bunker for uh, uh, speaking last week. Uh, she did a great job. Yeah. Thank you, Laurel. Uh, word on the street is that she kicked our butts. Uh, so sometimes we need that. It's a, it's a nice little kick to get us on the, on the right path. Um, but I appreciate her filling in. She was, she's a great friend and a, a good friend of Woodland Hills Church, and we're blessed uh, to be in relationship with her. Um, I had every intention of uh, getting back to Colossians as we rush through this book. Um, I, I was going to finish up chapter 2 and put together a, a real good message. Uh, but as I was putting it together, I just didn't feel the juice. Uh, I didn't have a fire. Um, I like to, there's a certain kind of feeling I, I like to get as I'm putting something together. I get excited about it. And uh, I, it's very hard to get people to be passionate listeners if you're not passionate in delivering it and aren't, you have a conviction about it. So you've always got to follow your heart. And frankly, my heart, I think there'll be a great message in a couple of weeks, but it wasn't for this week. My heart was in a little different place. Now, here's where my heart was. Um, what I was doing on this vacation that we took is, is this. Uh, a publisher asked me uh, about a year ago uh, if I would like to do a, a book. He heard some of my views on this topic and wanted me to do a book on doubt and doubt in its relationship with faith. And um, it would be a, a short, very popular level, layman's kind of a book, the kind of book that people actually buy, unlike a lot of my other books. Um, <laughs> And so I thought, oh, you know, I, I could do that easy. That, 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 that'd be fine. So I said, yes. Now, the book was due, is due September 1st, this September 1st. And I hadn't done a whole lot with it. So I took out seven days, and I, I uh, worked on it, what was it, honey, about 10 to 14 hours a day. I just plowed, which maybe sounds like, like, like hell, but actually it's, it's heaven to me. I, I love doing this. this is, I'm in heaven. There's up in my little cave, typing away, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm very blessed to have a wife who gets me. <laughs> and I get away with stuff like that. I mean, it's, I disappear, it's going to see me. She's even encouraging me. Shouldn't you be working on your book right now? So, so uh, that's where I, I've been chewing on this for, you know, a lot lately. And so that's where my heart is. And so that's what I want to talk about here today. In fact, truth is, uh, I, I think there's going to be two messages here. Um, hopefully not more than that, but we'll see. Um, so I'll give the one message this week, and then next week we'll be doing our Q&A. Uh, me and Paul with the cute shorts up there. Uh, he's, he's fun. So we'll be uh, doing that, and then we'll come back to this in two weeks, all right? So uh, you want to be a part of that in two weeks. Uh, just to kind of prime the pump, let me read this verse, or a couple verses here, just to kind of plant a question in your mind. It says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Hmm. What over that? 
Ooh-wee, what up with that? What is that? Believe it, you've already received it. Is that the, the case? And then, another place Jesus says, then, then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. So, it seems that if you can just make yourself as certain as though the prayer's already been answered, then it will be, it'll be given you. It'll be done. Now, I'm not going to explain those verses until two weeks from now, so... <laughs> Yeah, this is my little hook here. If you don't come back in two weeks, you're going to be screwed up the rest of your life. Okay, so. <laughs> my little advertisement there. But see, I, I, I think this, this taps into a, a widespread assumption about what faith is. It's about making yourself as certain as you can be. It's kind of a, a lying on, on, on the Wizard of Oz sort of faith. It, I do believe, I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe. Where you just want to be as certain as possible. And then doubt becomes the enemy. I'm, I want to ask the question, is that really what faith is all about? So we're entitling this message, Sledgehammer Faith, for reasons that I hope will become clear here in a little bit. Sledgehammer Faith. Pray with me here for a moment. Abba Father, I thank you, God, for uh, having a love for us that um, you just take us where we're at, and, and if we've got questions and struggles and doubts, uh, you take us with those questions and struggles and doubts. I thank you, God, for being a God who gives us space to grow and to think and to ask questions. Um, and I pray, God, that you just now use this message as a way of, of uh, just teaching us about faith and what it is to be faithful and uh, freeing us maybe from some misconceptions we've had that have messed with our minds and sometimes even barred few people from the kingdom. God, we pray for our, our, our wonderful parishioners. We pray blessing on them and pray that you'd open up their minds and hearts as well to receive your word. And any who are listening or watching through television or some other means, God, we just pray that you'd be moving there and, and bring your kingdom, bring your fullness, bring your authority into this message uh, as we open up our hearts to you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Also, Lord, help me have a strong voice. I, I, I sang too loudly last service. I mean, we really got into it, and I, I kind of uh, strained my voice, so, so bear with me here if my voice starts to get a little bit raspy. So the, the topic of faith, now, it, it gets to the core of who we are. I mean, because what it is to be a kingdom person is to have faith, right? And uh, so this topic just brings, it, it's to, it gets us to the real heart of what we're about. And ask the question, what is faith, is ask the question, what is doubt? And is doubt always the enemy of faith? Uh, is doubt the opposite of faith? Uh, is to ask the question, is it possible to be a, a passionate Jesus follower and still have a lot of uncertainty? And what about this? Are, are there, is there room in the kingdom for people who have trouble being certain about anything? I mean, people who, some people are just wired this way, where you... you you just ask a lot of questions. You have trouble taking anything just on authority. You've got to investigate everything for yourself. You've got to look at everything from every angle, from every perspective. And you have trouble being definitive about anything. It's, you think more in terms of probabilities than, than certainties. It's a room in the kingdom for people like that. And I'm really hoping there is because that's frankly kind of how I'm wired. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I have been paranoid about groupthink. If everybody is thinking the same thing, I get worried. Like we're being brainwashed or something. And, um, and, and so I've just always been of, of kind of that, 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 that nature. Is it possible? I, I, can you be an insider in the kingdom, an insider in the church, if, if, if you believe some of the things that the church teaches, but not all of them? 
uh, or you, know, you have questions about certain things that are kind of taken for granted in, in, in the church? Or is this an all or nothing kind of a deal? It seems to me that in, in most of Christianity today, especially in evangelical Christianity, people think in terms of all or nothing. You got to accept the whole thing or, or you're out. I was on a plane a couple of years ago, had gotten into a conversation with this guy who told me that he was a, um, a passionate Christian when he was a teenager, but as so often happens, far too often happens, and it's tragic because most of it's unnecessary, I think. But he went to a secular university, I think it was in North Carolina, as I recall, and um, lost his faith. And so I asked him, you know, why? Can you tell me what, what, what it was that made you abandon the faith? And it was really cute because he, uh, he warned me, are, are you sure you want me to share it? Because you might lose your faith too. And, and I, I said, I think I can handle it. Give me your best shot. So he uh, said that he took a, a class on the Bible and history and on the basis of archaeological evidence came to the conclusion that the uh, story of the Israelites invaded, invading Canaan um, was not historically accurate. The historical evidence suggests that that story lacks historical veracity. I asked him, why would you abandon the whole thing because of your questions about that? Uh, what does that have to do with Jesus? Um, why, what, what, why are you thinking in terms of all or nothing? I mean, I know the evidence that you're talking about, and I'll grant that there's, there's a, a real challenge there. But of course, historical evidence, archaeological evidence, is notoriously ambiguous, can be in, interpreted in a number of different ways. But more important than that, however you resolve that, I'm not even sure where I stand on, on some of that, but however you resolve that, have you considered the strong historical evidence for Jesus? And, and the evidence that the Gospels are, are, are rooted in history. I, at that point, Paul, Eddie, and I were working on our book, The Jesus Legend, where we pulled together all the best arguments against the historicity of Jesus, and we, we respond to them and present all the best evidence for it. And so I encouraged him to uh, uh, check out that book. But see, he, he told me that he had assumed it was an all-or-nothing thing. If, if he comes to the conclusion that this story isn't, isn't historically accurate, well then, he's got to abandon the whole thing. And I think this is tragic. I said, we, I told him, we don't think that way in other areas. Um, it's all or nothing kind of a thing. And science, if, if there's a theory that ends up conflicting with some evidence, and almost all theories run into problems sooner or later, they don't just throw the theory out. They, they modify it. They adjust it. Or they look again at the evidence and, and say, are we interpreting the evidence accurately? But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And it's tragic that this guy felt he had to be barred from the kingdom because, because he had questions about this one story. The way that people, many, many Christians assume we do faith bars a lot of thinking people from the kingdom. And it's tragic. So I'm asking the question, what is faith? Uh, the common assumption, I think, is that your faith is as strong as you are certain. Uh, your faith is as strong as you are free of doubt. And there's some verses that are appealed to to support that view. I read two of them earlier, and I'll explain those in two weeks. But right now, I just want to talk about this model of faith. I call this, in this book I'm working on now, I call, call this strength the, the strength tester model of faith. Strength, strength tester model of faith. 
Uh, you've, you've, I'm sure, been to carnivals or, or the fair, and you've seen this contraption where you, uh, the guy or the gal hits the mallet as hard as he can and tries to get that puck as far up the pole as you can, and that shows you how strong you are. And if you can hit the bell, well, then you're really a, a, a strong... Although I'm told that's more in technique than it is in strength, so who knows. But that, I think, kind of represents this model of faith, this common assumption that your faith is as strong as you are certain. Because the way that folks do faith is that uh, you measure the strength of your faith by, faith by how far you can get that faith puck up the faith pole to hit the certainty bell. And the farther up the faith pole you go, uh, the stronger your faith is. If you hit the certainty bell, well, then you really got a strong faith. And so the job then, you know, now you can see why we declare war on doubt. Uh, you, you want to get all doubt out of your mind and, and make yourself as certain as possible. Because if you can get that, that, that faith puck to hit the certainty bell, well, boom, then, then, then you've arrived. And since the Bible says, according to your faith, be it unto you, the assumption is that, that the higher up it goes, the more blessings you get, or the more God answers your prayer. So if you get halfway up the, the faith pole, uh, well, then, then that's adequate for salvation. And if you can get that faith puck uh, two-thirds up the faith pole, well, then, then, then you're in the blessing zone. You know, and now God will bless you and protect you, and maybe you can even have some kind of uh, easy healings, like you know, your headache goes away or something like that. But if you can get that faith puck up all the way and hit the certainty bell... And, 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 and as you pray, you believe that as though you've already received it. Well, now you can see Jesus type of miracles and, and heal cancer and, and raise the dead and things of that sort. That's the common way of framing what it means to do, to have faith. And I'm sure some people are listening to this and they're saying, duh, what else could faith possibly mean? But I want to submit to you that in fact, that is not the biblical model of faith. There is a role, I believe, and I'll talk about it in two weeks, where Doubt has no place. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, 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 a an angle, a, a, a time where it's not helpful to be entertaining doubts. But it, that is as a paradigm, as a model, not the way Scripture talks about faith. Now, I, I'll first talk about the, the strength tester model of faith and what's wrong with it, and then I'll, I'll get to the biblical model of faith. And my book I've got that I'm, I'm doing now, and by the way, I didn't get it done. I was supposed to get it done, but I'm only halfway done. Pray for me. I've got two weeks here. <laughs> um, but I've got four chapters of arguments against the strength tester model of faith. Uh, I'll share a few more of those in a couple weeks. This morning, I want to just share one. And it's the one that I think is probably going to be the most surprising to people. It's the one that is arguably the most serious. But if I'm right about this, then it's a, it applies to the a good percentage of, of uh, contemporary Christianity. I am convinced that the strength tester model of faith can be and even tends to be idolatrous. It can be and even tends to be idolatrous. The idea that we're supposed to make ourselves as certain as possible and shun all doubt can be, and I think tends to be, idolatrous. I'm not saying... That the people who hold to the strength tester model of faith are intentionally committing idolatry. I'm not, I'm not questioning their, the sincerity of their motives or anything. I'm certainly not questioning their salvation, like I or anybody else has any knowledge about that. I'm saying that this model of faith, this way of doing faith, can be and tends to be idolatrous. Now to show this, let's talk about what an idol is. 
One of the most important questions that we need to ask ourselves, as honestly as we can, is, is this. Where do we go to get life? And to ask that is to ask the question, where do we go to uh, feel like we're loved and feel like we have worth and feel like we have significance and feel like we have security? At the core of every human being is a need to feel loved. In fact, unconditionally loved. And a need to feel like you're worthwhile. In fact, to have unsurpassable worth. At the core of every human being, there's this desperate hunger to, to have this love and this worth and, and security. And the question is, where do we go to get that need met? And the Bible answer, of course, is we go to Jesus Christ. Uh, God's the only one who can meet that need, and he does it in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the biblical perspective is that our core identity, our core sense of being loved, our core sense of having worth and security is to be derived from, from Jesus Christ and from Jesus Christ alone. When I look to the cross... I can see there God loving me unconditionally, and I can see God ascribing unsurpassable worth to me because he's paying an unsurpassable price for me. And there I can have experienced absolute security because it's rooted in God's love. This is the kind of love and worth and security that death itself can't take away from us. It's the kind of love and worth and security that no person can give us uh, and no person can take from us. It's rooted in the character of God. And the core, our core life is to be derived from Jesus Christ as he gives his life for us on the cross and from him alone. It's good and even necessary to be loved by other people, of course. And it's good to do things that you believe are worthwhile. Nothing wrong with that. But our identity should never be derived from other people or from other things. It's to be derived from what God thinks about us uh, as he's revealed it on Calvary. And see, anything or anyone else that we go to to try to meet that core need that is an idol that's the biblical definition of an idol an idol is anything that we use to play a god role in our life that's an idol and we often talk about the idols of our culture the idols of 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 beauty or the idol of wealth or the idol of your possessions and the car that you drive or the house that you have or the idols of your achievement all the different things that people try to get life from they feel good about themselves and they feel like their life's worthwhile and secure because they got a big house, they got a nice car, because they're beautiful, because they're famous, or what have you. But what I want us to see here this morning is that it's possible for a person to make an idol out of their faith. The way that they do faith, when they exercise faith, that can be a way of making themselves feel loved by God and secure and, uh, and having worth. And I think the strength tester model of faith goes in that direction. In fact, this, this is the kind of idolatry that Jesus most confronted. And he confronted it in the religious leaders of his day. You see this in, in John uh, chapter 5. This is the kind of idolatry that I think religious folks tend to, towards the most. He says this in John 5, in the course of having this debate with these guys, He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life. Thing is, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus here isn't saying there's anything wrong with what you believe or with your diligent study of scripture, but the way that you're doing it, well, there's a problem there. 
These leaders thought that they could have life, experience life from their diligent study of the scripture. They knew their Bible and, and they had Bible-based uh, doctrines. They were confident that they believed the right things because they knew the Bible so well. And so what made them feel saved, what made them feel secure, what gave them work is that they were confident that they knew their Bible and therefore had Bible-based beliefs. Jesus points out that all scripture points to him and he's the one, the only one, who is the source of life. And so the point, the ultimate point of studying Scripture and believing things on the basis of Scripture is to point to Him and have a relationship with Him who is the only source of life. And therefore, there's no life in studying the Bible if it doesn't lead you to Christ. And no life in believing all the right things based on the Bible if it doesn't lead you to Christ. The problem with these religious leaders is that they, it wasn't in what they believed. Jesus doesn't confront their orthodoxy. And orthodoxy just means believing the right things. That's not the problem. By, by first century Jewish standards, these people believed the right things. The problem wasn't with what they believed. The problem was with how they believed. The problem is that they were getting life, feeling worth, feeling secure, feeling saved by their diligent study of the Bible and their confidence that they were right. They had all the right beliefs based on the Bible. And that prevented them from going to Christ. I want us to see this. The reason these guys didn't go to Christ to find life was because they thought, they assumed they already had life. Because they studied the Bible and they based all their beliefs on the Bible. So they weren't hungry for the real bread of life because they were already stuffed with an idol. And the idol wasn't some debaucherous, ugly, terrible thing. The idol looked good. The idol was the idol of their diligent study of their Bible and there's certainty that came with it. There's certainty that they believe all the right things. That, folks, is a problem. Instead of their Bible study and their Bible-based doctrines leading them to Christ, their, their Bible study and their Bible-based doctrines were what's keeping them from Christ. Which means, listen to this now. Sometimes the way we believe makes what we believe an anti-Christ obstacle to coming to Christ even if what we believe is entirely correct. Sometimes the way we believe makes what we believe an antichrist obstacle to coming to Christ, even if what we believe is entirely right. Sometimes our orthodoxy can be an idol. If the way we're believing our orthodoxy is that we feel saved and secure and have worth before God because of our orthodoxy, instead of because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, what I want us to see is that, that this applies as much to Christian orthodoxy as it does to Jewish orthodoxy. It applies as much today as it did <clears throat> at the time of Jesus. Because, again, it's not about what you believe. It's not about the content. It's about how we believe it. The question is, does our diligent study of the Bible and our Bible-based beliefs, do they lead us to Christ, the one source of life? Or do, the, or do they prevent us from getting life from Christ because we're getting life from them. Is, is, it, is, it, is, the, is the belief pointing us? Beliefs are supposed to point us to Christ instead of keeping us from Christ. And our beliefs keep us from Christ when we get life from them. When The thing that makes us feel like we're saved and the thing that makes us feel secure before God and the thing that makes us feel like, like we've got worth before God is that we're convinced and we're trying to be convinced that we're believing all the right things because we know our Bible and our beliefs are based on the Bible. At that point, folks, we've, got it. we've made an idol out of our faith. Think about it this way. You can't be getting life from God if 
You're getting life from the things you believe about God. And there's a world of difference between the two. You can't be getting life from God if we're getting life from all the things we think about God. And I, I want to be clear here. I'm not at all minimizing the importance of orthodoxy. And orthodoxy is, I, we should all aspire to believe the right things. That's important. But see, all the right beliefs in the world are nothing but a dead idol if they're not leading us into a real relationship that's giving us life from Christ, the one source of life. Think about it this way. Jesus said, come to me, come to me and I will give you life. He didn't say, come to all the right views about me and find life. No, believe the right things about me, but it's the actual relationship that is life-giving. Jesus didn't give his life to acquire a bride who felt good about herself because she could hit the faith puck far enough up the faith pole. He didn't come to marry a bride who was feels good about herself because all of her opinions are right. It's not an attractive bride. No, he, he came to marry a bride. He gave his life for a bride who, who, who loves him in a way that matches his love for her, even if she's a little bit screwed up in the head, all right? Her heart's in the right place. He, he, he died for a bride who would be passionate for him and, 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 and find her life and her worth and her identity out of a relationship with him. That's the bride that Jesus came to acquire, not the bride that can hit the bell, the puck far enough up, 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 the, up the pole. And so we who are the bride of Christ, who have put our faith in Christ, we're to always remember that we're to get our life from Christ and from Christ alone, not from trying to hit a faith puck up the pole to hit the certainty belt. No, no, not from our right opinions, not from convincing ourselves that we believe all the right things. That's not to be the source of our security and our sense of being saved. Rather, all of our life is to be derived from Christ and from Christ alone. And see, if our life is, 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 is found in Christ alone, then we won't be feeling the need to convince ourselves of stuff. And we won't be feeling the need to cling to our rightness. People only cling to their rightness and, and strive for certainty about things because it makes them feel like they're secure before God. They get life from that. But if all of our life is based in Christ, we still aspire to believe all the right things, for sure. But, but we, we don't need to cling to it. Nor will we need to be getting angry if someone says we're wrong. Uh, bent out of shape if someone disagrees with us. You can smell an idol when he, you, you poke at it a little bit and it bites you. <laughs> if someone's getting life from something. It applies to political beliefs as well, by the way. If someone's getting life from their rightness about political beliefs, you poke at it a little bit and disagree. <laughs> but see, if your life is in Christ, well then, someone says you're wrong, it's like, well, maybe I am. And so you examine it. Um, and, 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 and you change if, if necessary. It's no big deal because your life is found in Christ. So the strength tester model, one of the reasons why I think it's mistaken is that it tends to idolatry, the very kind of idolatry that Jesus confronted, and yet I think it's prevalent all over the place, folks. Um, so if that model is mistaken and idolatrous, well then, then what's the true model? Think about this. The strength tester model of faith is really a psychological model. A psychological model. And I, what I mean by that is that it gets us in our head. Uh, the, the way you know and measure your, the strength of your faith is by going in your head and seeing how certain you can make yourself feel. I do, I do, I do believe. I do, I do, I do believe. And trying to get that faith puck up the pole and ring the certainty bell. It's a psychological model. The biblical model of faith, I submit to you, is not psychological. It's covenantal. And whereas the 
strength tester model of faith gets us to focus in our head. The biblical model of faith, this covenantal model of faith, the focus is on your willingness to act as you do when you enter into a covenant. It's about your, your willingness to make a commitment to act in a certain way and to move in, in, a, in a certain direction. It's a lot like marriage. And um, that's an appropriate analogy because we are the bride of Christ and we're, we're engaged uh, with Jesus and the marriage will be consummated when he returns. And so it's, it's then this is the only covenant we've got left in our culture. And, and so we, it's good to think about faith in terms of, of marriage, in terms of a covenant. When uh, Shelly and I... It'll be, it'll be 34 years. And in, 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 in what is it, 10 days? What's the date? Uh, it's like the 6th or something? 13 more days. 34th anniversary. Woohoo! Yes. Is it three, 34 or 33? <laughs> Last night, I, I, as I was giving the message, all of a sudden, I, I, I got worried. What's the date? You know, have I missed the anniversary? Yes. But, I got time. I've not ever missed it. I, I, um, okay, so when, when we, you'll remember, honey, when we were 33 years ago uh, holding each other's hands, looking into each other's eyes and exchanging our vows, our focus wasn't in our head. We're entering into a covenant. We were focused on each other. Uh, we weren't in our heads saying, trying to convince ourselves, at least I hope you weren't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably should have checked that out before I gave the message. But I, we weren't in our heads trying to convince ourselves that our, our beliefs about one another were accurate. You know, I, I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do believe you. If you're doing that when you're taking your vows, you probably shouldn't be taking your vows, all right? Uh, sit on it for a little bit. No, we were focused on one another. Now, we had beliefs about one another, for sure. We had beliefs. Uh, we wouldn't be up there if we didn't believe certain things about one another and believe certain things about our life ever after and happiness and all that. Uh, we, we believed certain things, but our focus wasn't on the belief. The purpose of beliefs is to point you to the person that you're having the beliefs about. I'm marrying Shelly. I'm not marrying my beliefs about Shelly. See, that's what happens with the strength tester model of faith is you're actually getting life from you're married to your beliefs about Jesus rather than Jesus. Now, I, I believed and I still believe that Shelly was uh, charming and delightful and godly and fun to be around and uh, obviously drop-dead gorgeous. I, I, you know, I had those beliefs. Uh, I don't know, I have no idea what she was believing about me, but it must have been something because she ended up marrying me. Uh, but uh, uh, the focus wasn't on the beliefs. The focus was on each other as, as, as they should be. Uh, now, were we certain about those beliefs? I, I, obviously not. We, we weren't certain about those beliefs. Um, in life, and I don't mean to be unromantic, but there is no certainty. Now, sometimes people feel like they're certain, but that's just a, a cocktail of hormones that your brain is sending into your body that creates this euphoric feeling we call falling in love, and it eventually fades. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> to the degree that you're rational, you know that there's no certainty. You can't be certain about stuff. I mean, sometimes when people are dating, everybody kind of puts their best foot forward. There's some things that you find out after you get married, and sometimes people hide big stuff. Sometimes, like that gal last year or the year before who married that guy, and turns out he had a couple other wives and families out around the country. That'd be good to know ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> in 
Things happen. You can't be certain. People sometimes change, right? People sometimes change, and that's not necessarily for the better. And that can adversely affect the marriage. Sometimes people make stupid, stupid decisions, like running off with a secretary. That can dampen things in a marriage uh, pretty fast. Sometimes tragedies happen and, and, and affect people's personalities or whatnot. That can have an adverse effect on the marriage. And sometimes, you know, people can, even if everything's wonderful, next morning the, the spouse dies. And that can kind of dampen your happy ever after. I, life is uncertain. We, we couldn't be certain. But here's the thing. We were confident enough to make the commitment. Confident enough. That's biblical faith. Biblical faith is this. It's not, it's not about striving for certainty. It's the willingness to commit in the face of uncertainty. So willing to take a risk. There's always an element of risk involved in this, even when you're not certain. See, it's a world of, it's miles apart from the strength tester model of faith. You commit in the face of uncertainty. And that's your character, you see. Sometimes when people want certainty, it shows a lack of character, a lack of trust, an unwillingness to risk. Sometimes people find themselves 40, 50, 60 years old, and they wanted to be married, but they never thought they found Mr. or Mrs. Right. That's because they set the bar at the level of certainty instead of at the level of certain enough. And waiting for something to come along where you're absolutely, no, 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 absolutely, there's risk, you want a risk-free marriage. Ain't no such thing. It always involves risk. But see, that's the nature of, of, of the biblical model of faith. Now, here's, here's the final thing I'll say. Uh, we took that risk. We took that, that, that plunge. We weren't certain, but we were confident enough that our beliefs about each other were accurate and that our beliefs about our life uh, together would be accurate. And there's been tough patches, one or two, I think. You know, we had that, that one day we had kind of a rough day. Uh, <laughs> pray for my honesty. But see, here's the thing. Because of that, we, we, we took that risk. Because of that, we've been able to enjoy uh, a life together, a love together, as we continue to grow in love and it continues to mature. And, and the struggles, yeah, there's been a few. But, but even those make you stronger, you see. And, and, and just being married to another person, it stretches you, it grows you. I would not be the person I am today if I wasn't married to Shelly. Um, and, and Amen. Absolutely. And part of it's because we're so different. We always talk about that. We're like opposites. You know, I, I would never have given a thought in my life about what kind of light should go in the kitchen or what color the dining room should be or with this, that, or the other thing. It would not ever have occurred to me. But Shelly is very passionate about that kind of stuff. And so I, 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 it's grown me. It grew me first to be able to tolerate it. Yeah, and then it grew me to be able to appreciate it, and I'm still working on this one, but trying to participate in it. <laughs> She's always dragging me into it. What do you think about the light? It's like, I don't What does she want me to say? I don't know. Not really. I'm a guy. But you see, and, and because of we took that risk, uh, we have three wonderful children and five wonderful grandchildren and a joy and a love that we never otherwise would have. The risk is worth it. Some, in some cases, I know it didn't turn out that way, but there's always an element of risk. But the risk we take in, in becoming a follower of Jesus, well, it pays dividends throughout eternity. It pays dividends throughout eternity. And so, so the word here is this. Uh, 
that there is, is a place, not only is there a place, but there is a central place for uncertainty. And, and for uh, just seeing that some things you can't be sure about, and there's questions, and there's struggles, and that's okay. That's okay. That's part of what we bring uh, to the, the, the table when we marry Jesus. See, at the, at the heart of the kingdom is a marriage. We marry Jesus. And we have beliefs that go along with that. And the beliefs are there not to draw attention to the beliefs themselves, but to point us to Jesus. And, and he's our only source of life. And so he proposes to us on the cross. Because on the cross, he's saying, here's what I'm really like. Um, here's what I think about you. Here's what you mean to me. You're worth me dying for. Uh, and will you marry me? And we say yes when we surrender our life to him. And we then become part of the bride of Christ. Uh, it's celebrated, the initiation ceremony, the betrothal ceremony is in baptism, as we did uh, just the other week. And, uh, and we pledge to uh, follow the pattern of his life. That's what it is to be a believer. And we're going to be reminding ourselves of that as we take communion here in a little bit. To do that, you don't need to be certain. You can have a whole lot of questions about a whole lot of stuff. You certainly don't need to be certain over most of the stuff that evangelical Christians try to be certain over. Like the historicity of the story of the Israelites inviting, invading Canaan and a ton of other things. Now, there's a lot of questions. You just need to be confident enough that that's what God looks like and that's how God, what God thinks of me. And I want to surrender my life to my heavenly groom, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So the worship team, come on up, and uh, i like the ushers to get ready. We're going to go into a time of communion. I'll say more about that uh, after this, this next worship song. Um, and I encourage us, as we prepare our hearts to uh, take communion, which is the sign of the covenant, um, when we go into this time of worship, I encourage you to do it with, with, with your whole being, uh, to, to focus on your heavenly groom, uh, to enter into it with all your imagination, and to envision in your mind who we're singing to, and ask the Holy Spirit to make this come alive. This is where the, where, where the things of the Spirit begin to impact us, is when they become real in our mind, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. Imagine who we're singing to and what we're singing about. So, Abba Father, as we now go into this time of worship and to celebrate uh, the sign of the covenant, we ask that you again draw us closer to you, deepen our commitment towards you. I pray, God, you just give this congregation and all who are listening by other means a bear hug of love. God, that, that, that just deepens our love for you and our understanding of your beautiful, beautiful, outrageously gorgeous character that was demonstrated on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.
Yeah, there we go. We can't fathom the height and the depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God that passes all understanding. We can just sit and receive it and just receive it. I pray that, that as we leave here and go out into the world that's so hungry, trying to get worth and life from all different sorts of things, I pray that our worth is found in Christ alone, not in our opinions on anything, but in Christ alone. I pray we can be conduits of that love. And, uh, and just be spreading it in every way, shape, and form as we leave this place. To be a faithful bride, let's strive for faithfulness. We may have a lot of questions, but let's strive for faithfulness, not certainty, faithfulness, living as he lived. The front of the auditorium is open uh, as our prayer teams come forward. And if you're here and have any need whatsoever, I encourage you to uh, come up here and, and pray with these folks. They'd love to uh, just be able to spend some, some time with you praying. Uh, if, you have, if you have doubts, if, if something I said here... It really lands with you. Maybe there's struggles with doubts. Uh, I, for about 15 minutes, will be in the back room uh, back there. And um, to my right and your left, the back of the auditorium. And uh, let's all just you know, pile in there. And so if you have something private to share, this isn't the place for it. But um, if you have some questions you'd like to ask, uh, I'll be back there for a little bit. Uh, Father, as we leave this place, we just thank you, God, for being a God of, uh, who accepts us as we are and loves us as we are. A bride who still doesn't have all white garments on, and a bride who is a little bit screwy in our head sometimes, and a bride who doesn't get it right sometimes. But God, thank you that you paid the price of Calvary to win this bride. We are your portion, and you are our prize. Praise God. And uh, Father, as we leave here, we just commit to do it in a way that we carry out uh, your will on earth as it is in heaven, to be a faithful bride in the midst of all of our questions. And thank you, God, for a community like this. God, I just thank you for this community where... We can just be honest. You give us space to have questions and doubts and to grow, and, and, and we give each other space to have questions and to doubt and to grow. And I just thank you for a gracious community like Woodland Hills. Uh, God, to keep on pouring your love on us and pour your love through us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said one last time. 
Amen. God bless you guys. Love you.